Welcome in, everyone, to It's Always Sunny in Chief's Kingdom, brought to you by Sports Illustrated's Arrowhead Report, si.com, slash NFL, slash Chiefs. We don't have time, Taylor, for cutesy intros or small talk. Today, we have a monster trade that happened right after we recorded the podcast last week. We have an entire draft of players breakdown. We got to slay the Broncos and the Raiders and give some props to the Chargers, I guess, but they're still the Chargers. Here to help me do that, my man Taylor Witt at Taylor underscore wit on Twitter. Taylor, what's going on? Well, uh, other than everything, which you just recapped. Everything. Um, everything. We also, Huge news. <laughs> the pod also ended our second giveaway contest of our, uh, you know, illustrious podcasting careers. And that ended on April 30th. Thank you to everyone who retweeted us and Facebook posted and sent me all the stuff through the DMs. We really Appreciated you helping us get the word out there. Uh, we picked the winners. I've got addresses ready to go to send them the shirts. So as soon as I get them from our bulk order, those will be going out. Expect those if you were a winner to re- arrive by mid-May. Everyone else, we had many people reach out and just say, I'm good on the contest. Here's some money. Let Give me a shirt. So that was cool. So all of you guys will also get those shirts on in mid-May. And as always, if anyone has any interest in getting a shirt, DM me. If you want to join our Discord, DM me. If you uh, want to just say, what's up, DM me. So uh, go Chiefs. <laughs> His DMs are always open, ladies. That's and right. uh, thank you to our anonymous donor who gave us the shirts to do the giveaway. We uh, we appreciate you. You know who you are. So uh, that was awesome. Um, Taylor, we just got to get into the news here. Do you want to do the news chant? News, 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 news. news. To be honest with you guys, this whole episode is basically (laughs) just news and reaction because there was a lot of it. We record usually on Thursdays. We're recording today on a Sunday just to make sure that we had some time to let our draft takes kind of simmer and and boil and and come to fruition. I don't know. Uh, But (laughs) after we recorded last week on Thursday, a Friday afternoon, as Brett Beach is wont to do, he slid in with some gigantic news, some massive news, some news that we had talked about as a possibility. But to be honest with you, I didn't really see coming. And that is, of course, Orlando Brown Jr. traded from the Ravens to the Chiefs. The Chiefs have a new left tackle. It, it was so exciting when the Chiefs – it's always exciting when the Chiefs make make moves. But, you know, the the tackle situation is one that even if everything else, even if they had – brought in some new wide receivers and done some other fun stuff. I was always going to be a little leery of the left tackle situation. Or even if they had taken one with their first pick of the draft. Exactly right. Even if they had taken one at 31, who knows how a rookie is going to translate and all that stuff. So this was as, as good of a tone setter for how the chiefs are going to approach this season as anything. They said, all right, we're going to turn the reason that we lost the Super Bowl into the reason that we're going to kick everyone's ass next year. And we're going to beef up the entire offensive line. There are now 15 guys in the offensive line that can play ball. So I'm, I'm so, so excited about this trade. Yeah. You texted me in the middle of a meeting. I was just hanging out the, the place where I work likes to schedule lunch meetings on Fridays, which is also the day that I have an all day court docket. So I was in court all morning. I, you know, ordered a sandwich and then I was like, shit, I got to run to this meeting. It was one fifteen, And then I looked down at my phone cause I was getting ready to run back to court. And I saw I had a text from you that said we traded for Orlando <laughs> Brown jr. And so that whole afternoon was kind of a blur of me, like, you know, just, uh, surreptitiously checking my phone and refreshing my tweets and popping off a quick message here and there to let you guys know my takes on it while I was in court doing a docket. Most people wouldn't even attempt that. I did it. 
but it was uh it was a wild afternoon and this to come obviously the friday before the draft it just was a it was a blur so there's a lot that we can kind of get into with this trade before we talk about the draft but let's start with the player himself he turns 25 today may 2nd is the day we're recording this he just turned 25 today so happy birthday orlando that's right this will be his fourth NFL season, so he's played three seasons, and he's a two-time Pro Bowler, once at right tackle two years ago, and then last year as a left tackle and and also a right tackle. He played a little bit of both, but his dad, Orlando Brown Sr., was a longtime right tackle in the NFL, and actually, I believe, was undrafted, so his dad uh, did not – he basically, you know, he, he was a guy that had to scratch and claw and then ended up playing – a long time in the league and ended up making a lot of money at right tackle. He too was a long time Baltimore Raven, but he was a right tackle. And so uh, Orlando talked about this in his, his opening presser, his dad wanted him to play left tackle because, you know, it's considered to be more of a premium position, obviously protecting a quarterback's blind side. And they typically get paid a little bit more. Um, and so he's kind of been very vocal, especially the last year or so about his desire to play left tackle. And so last year, the Ravens all pro left tackle, Ronnie Stanley got hurt, blew out his, um, I think it was an Achilles maybe. Yeah. And was out for the year. And so the Ravens moved Orlando Brown jr. From right tackle to left tackle. He played left tackle for most of the year last year and played great. Did not give up a sack according to pro football focus. And I think five or 600 snaps at left tackle. Um, and by the way, I did want to say, you know, Lamar Jackson, for as much as he, you know, can slip and dive and evade and juke and juke people out of their shoes, he can get sacked. He took sure. 29 sacks last year. Yep. So it's not like playing left tackle for Lamar Jackson is the easiest thing in the world. I mean, he certainly can avoid a pass rush on his own right, but he's not, you know, it's not like he's he's not taking sacks. He took almost 30 sacks last year. Well, and running quarterbacks put it themselves into a lot of sack opportunities. So it's not necessarily that he's maybe, you know, bad at taking sacks or anything like that, but the style of play just lends itself to every now and then he's going to run around and someone's going to be back there. And to, for Orlando Brown, not to be able to, or to be able to not give up a sack with Lamar back there specifically is pretty impressive. It is. And there's some talk about, you know, how he's going to fit in with the chiefs and, Obviously, it's a very different offense that the Chiefs run versus what the Ravens run. The Ravens run, obviously, a much more run-focused attack. Um, Everything kind of operates off of play action and misdirection and run sets and Lamar's ability to to run. And and frankly, his ability to run being more of a threat almost than his ability to pass, to throw the ball. Uh, There were some concerns maybe about his athleticism when he came out and his ability to play left tackle and kind of a pure passing attack because obviously the chiefs offense is entirely built around the pass and Patrick Mahomes and his ability to, you know, throw the ball deep, hang in the pocket, uh, get outside the pocket and throw the ball as opposed to Lamar getting outside the pocket and then running up field and trying to get, you know, first downs with his legs as opposed to with his arm. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about relative athletic scores in this episode, because I think they're interesting. They're certainly not the end all be all, but they're, they're a really interesting kind of snapshot of what a player is capable of relative to his peers. There's a great uh, guy on Twitter. His name is, uh, well, his Twitter handle is at math and he computes all these relative athletic scores and Orlando Brown, when he came out, 
fell all the way to the third round. And the reason he did is because he had like one of the worst combines yeah. ever, like of yeah. all time. Yeah. He, his relative athletic score was a 0.72. Okay. So math bomb, uh, the guy who curates these stats, he looks at a bunch of different categories and these are out of a 10 point scale. So a 0.72, you're looking at a percentile rank. That's like in the bottom. I don't know. It's, it's seven. Seven. Yeah. Seventh percent, seventh percentile. So better. And this goes back to, I think he computes them back to 1987 or 1986. Uh, So we're talking about, you know, 30 years almost of data here, uh, combine data. And we're talking about Orlando Brown Jr. testing in the seventh percentile. That's obviously very poor. Now his size, his hand size, his arm length, his height, his weight, all elite all of those metrics, he's huge. He's a monster. Yeah. Okay. But his testing numbers, his vertical jump, he, he scored in the 0. 0.06. <laughs> he scored 0. 0.06. So that would be in the 0.6th percentile. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. 0.06 is, is less than one percentile. Yes, correct. 0. 0.06 in the broad jump, 0. 0.04 in the shorts shuttle. Okay. And these take size into consideration when he grades these. So it's not like he's grading against wide receivers on the vertical jump. It's against other people, his size. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's as bad as it gets. It's as bad as it gets. His three cone. The only thing, if you could look at this card that I have in front of me, the only things that are green, which are considered elite are his size. (laughs) The only thing considered average, (laughs) his average is his three cone. He got a point uh, or a 5.07. So like straight, straight, mediocre average in the three cone and everything else is bright red like like the worst you can possibly do his 40 he uh he ran a a 5.85 at the combine and his pro day a 5.68 that's in the 0.08 range for relative athletic score is 20 yard split 0.22 is 10 yard split 0.17 his speed score is a 58.91 it's just not good like all the numbers all of his testing numbers were outrageously bad and this is a, going on with him. Yeah, this is a great opportunity to kind of open the door to, you know, what athletic testing means, because, you know, obviously, like if if you just saw a guy with these athletic testing numbers and you didn't have tape, you'd say this guy's undraftable. Like he looks terrible. like my athletic score. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> it's this not guy, much worse. It's not much is, better. I mean, yeah, this is just like some fat giant yeah. guy that can't run and can't move at all. And he can't play football, but you know, then you have to look at tape and his tape was good enough for the Ravens to take a chance on him in the third round. And he's played really well. And this is going to be something that we get into more with the chiefs draft class and one player in particular, their first yeah. pick Nick Bolton yeah. and kind of the differences between tape and testing. And obviously there's no right answer. Like if, if athletic scores were all you needed to determine whether a guy could play football, drafting would be really easy and draft choices would be very stock. The Raiders would probably still do some crazy stuff, but everybody else would just be making picking pro bowlers left and right, uh, you know, every year, but it obviously doesn't just come down to that. And it also doesn't just come down to tape because if a guy has good tape in college, he's playing against college players. So the fact that he can move well and he can pass protect, or, you know, he can go deep and catch a ball in college against college players. He's obviously not playing against the level of talent that he's playing against in the NFL. So it's obviously always going to be a combination of scouting and testing and analytics and data, but Orlando Brown 
is sort of an interesting tale because he had literally like the poorest combine really of anyone ever uh, that's gone on to have as good a, a career as he's had at least these last couple of years. And so, and he um, had, he had a bad pro day too. I mean, yeah, it's not that he had one right. bad exactly. combine. I mean, exactly. he, he just didn't test well. And I don't know if that's nerves. I don't know if that's, you know, maybe his, I don't know because clearly he can play. And if he can play, you would think that, you know, maybe the vertical jump and the broad jump aren't, aren't, you know, indicative of how a guy can play in the NFL, but man, I would have expected a guy with his ability that he's shown on the field to show up a little bit better in those tests, but he just did not. He did not. And the Ravens were the beneficiary of that because now after three years, um, they obviously were in a position where, you know, they could have played chicken with them and said, we're going to stick you back at right tackle and you can either do that or not show up. But they were in a position where they knew that this is his last year under contract on his rookie deal, his fourth season in the NFL. They understood that, you know, he probably wasn't going to resign there if they did that. Uh, you know, they could franchise tag him, but that's always a little bit dicey because guys don't necessarily have to report. It's a little bit harder for guys to hold out under the new CBA. But um, for a right tackle, you know, to, to franchise tag a right tackle, I think they just pay them on the basis of tackle money. So yeah. that wasn't a realistic option for them either, since you would be paying them, you know, an average of the top five tackles, which would all be left tackles pretty much. Did you so hear they pretty Harbaugh, much had to trade him. Yeah, did go you ahead. hear Harbaugh's comments about, about how – Orlando was talking about being a left tackle. This was like, I think maybe the day after the trade or something where he was Harbaugh was doing a press conference. And, you know, the, the question was like, well, did you feel like that was a dead end with Orlando? And, and Harbaugh was basically like, yeah, I mean, he would get off the team bus and be like, I'm a left tackle. And he would be in the weight room, like I'm a left tackle. And, you know, I mean, it sounded like Harbaugh was a little defensive about the trade, but kind of that they just had to give up on him because it sounded like, Orlando wasn't going to give in and he was going to either play left tackle or go somewhere else. And, you know, I mean, that's uh, if they had to get the trade done. I also think the, the perspective of who they traded with, we've talked about this before, but yes, you know, the fact that they sent him to the chiefs to a team that has beaten Lamar Jackson head to head all three times they've played and who has, you know, essentially represented the hurdle that the Ravens have to climb to be an elite AFC team the fact that they knew that the chiefs were looking for a better option at left tackle and had a good option. And they just, you know, Harbaugh was like, we can't think about other teams. We've got to think about what's best for the Ravens. And they had the best offer. Like sometimes what's best for the Ravens is not to give the best opponent in your conference, a better player. I mean, the key to their, it just, it was just very shocking to me. And a lot of times when we were talking about the potential for the Orlando Brown trade, you know, many people were saying, well, they're never going to send him to the Chiefs, even if even if the Chiefs want him and even if they want to get rid of him, they're never going to send him there. And yet Friday, that's what they did. Yeah. And, you know, I think it is interesting because and, and I think it's well said that the Ravens seemed a little bit almost defensive of how they approached this trade because people were killing them for that specific reason. Like you traded him to the team in your conference that you cannot beat. And yep. You know, when you talk about, you know, winning championships in the NFL, it's all about maximizing windows, right? And Lamar Jackson is now in, he's going into his fourth season. This off season is when they can pay Lamar Jackson. And so they're about to have to pay Lamar Jackson, just as the Chiefs paid 
Patrick Mahomes, they're, they're no longer going to have him on his rookie deal. You know, this season and next season are kind of the last two years that they're going to have Lamar for kind of a below market rate. If they do end up choosing to pay him or uh, they, they they took his fifth year option, right? They took his fifth year option, but they, my expectation would be that they will extend him this off season, but regardless, uh, you know, this is this, these next couple of seasons where they could have had Orlando Brown, at least for this year, these are kind of the last two years that they have, you know, him at a below market rate. And so for them to say, well, we don't really care about that. We're going to trade him to the chiefs is an interesting choice. I think I indicated when we talked about this before, sort of as a hypothetical, like this is probably never going to happen, but let's talk about it because Mm -hmm. it's a slow news week. You know, like I was almost a little bit worried that if they did trade him to us, it's kind of like, what, what do they know that we don't? Because why would any team in their position be dumb enough to make a deal like that? But they did it. So here we are. And we should talk about the compensation here because we now have uh, the benefit of you and I waiting until Sunday to record this and skipping, you know, waiting eight or nine days is that we now know all of the players that were involved in this deal, except for uh, there was a pick swap, a fifth and sixth round pick swap next year. Yeah. So the Chiefs got Orlando Brown Jr., who obviously is very good. He's going to be better this year than anybody that the Chiefs could have taken with pick 31 and probably better than that guy would have performed next year either right you know um you just it's hard to find players ultimately of his caliber at the end of the first round you can do it but it's very rare so they go to Orlando Brown Jr they got pick number 58 in the second round from the Ravens and then a 2022 sixth round pick the Ravens got pick 31 they got the Chiefs third and fourth round picks this year so a first a third a fourth this year gave back a second and then a 2022 fifth round pick so they swapped fifth and sixth round picks in 2022. And then this year only, it was Orlando Brown Jr. and a second round pick for a first, a third, and a fourth. So depending on whose trade chart you look at, and the Chiefs, uh, according to Peter King, have like 10 different trade charts that they right. use. Uh, there's, there's obviously the original, the OG trade chart developed by Jimmy Johnson of the Cowboys. And it's kind of, I, I don't know what Jimmy Johnson based that trade chart on, but it sort of was like the godfather of all trade charts in the NFL. Like, I don't know. I don't know what, if any data he based that on, or if he just kind of, I don't know the origins of the Jimmy Johnson trade chart. And if you do fill me in, but he just assigned the picks numbers. He just wanted math involved. That was basically it. Which makes sense. But the whole idea behind a trade chart is obviously the closer you are to the top of the draft, the more valuable those picks are going to be. And when you, you get past, you know, the top 100 players, the picks are less valuable because it's much harder to predict, you know, who's going to be a good player, what you're going to be able to do with that pick. In any case, the chiefs used about 10 different trade charts. There's different charts that they use. There are some that are kind of based on historical data. Like this is who got picked in this spot. And this is what that player was worth. Um, There's some based on, you know, actual uh, historical trade data, you know, like this, this is what the picks involved ended up being worth. In any case, depending on who you ask this pick the chiefs essentially got the equivalent of orlando brown for between somewhere between like a mid first round pick at the very high end to like a late second round pick on the very low end Mm -hmm. and the average kind of settled in around a mid second round pick so your second round pick for the third and fourth round pick plus the 2022 pick swap that's kind of all a wash 
so when you get down to it, it really comes down to pick 31 in Orlando Brown Jr. and what you value Orlando Brown Jr. at. And essentially the Chiefs felt like they were getting him for the equivalent of a mid-second round pick. Seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah, I think that that's the type of value that, you know, Veach is all about, that he can see the potential that what Brown can bring to the offense and and the hole that he can fill. And he thinks, yeah, mid-second round pick, some, somewhere in that range. Like, I couldn't ask for anything better drafting at that spot than this player. So, I mean, I, I totally get it. I think the only questions really are the money, but um, we'll get to that. But as far as the value of the player and the picks, I loved it. Yeah, and now we know who the Ravens ended up taking and who the Chiefs ended up taking with those picks, with the exception of the 2022 picks that they swapped. Chiefs got Orlando Brown Jr., and with the Ravens' second-round pick, number 58, they took Nick Bolton, linebacker out of Missouri. We'll talk about him when we break down the Chiefs' draft class. The Ravens got three players, starting with Jason Owe, edge out of Penn State, at pick number 31. And they had on the board at that pick – Uh, Tevin Jenkins, a tackle out of Oklahoma State, who a lot of people had rated as the third best tackle in this class behind Rashawn Jenkins and Penny Sewell, who both went in the top 12, 13 picks, because I think um, the Chargers took Slater. Um, The uh, Chiefs probably would have taken a tackle there. You have to think they probably take Jenkins in that situation. The Ravens got an edge rusher who is very athletic, but very raw, uh, Jason Owe. Then with their third round pick, they took a, a guard named Ben Cleveland out of Georgia. And then with their fourth round pick, a guy that a lot of Chiefs fans uh, were interested in and wanted, Tylen Wallace, a wide receiver out of Oklahoma State. So those are the three players that they got. The Chiefs got one player, a linebacker, Nick Bolton and Orlando Brown. And when you look at that trade, I mean, the, the Ravens got three players who could be pretty good, but the Chiefs ultimately came away with clearly the best player in this deal and I think a guy that will prove to be the best player in this deal throughout their NFL careers and then they also got Nick Bolton who was considered by many people to be kind of a first or early second round pick with a late second rounder so again seems like good value for the Chiefs really the the question for me and for a lot of Chiefs fans for everybody is is all about his contract moving forward what the situation there is obviously he did not come to Kansas City with a new deal as a lot of big trade on the last year of their deal you know a lot of times that'll happen where they immediately announce an extension that did not happen here so he will be playing on the last year of his deal and the Chiefs gave up all those picks so it's it's in their best interest for sure to keep this guy around for longer than a year that would be a colossal waste of draft capital for one year of a player so you know they're going to negotiate an extension or at least attempt to but that is not in place yet so you know he's gonna he's gonna be worth a lot of money this is not going to be a guy that they're going to be able to extend cheaply he is a, a premium talent on the market and if if they end up you know i, I tweeted this when the trade happened, but the chiefs were prepared to offer Trent Williams an ass load of money. I mean, yeah, they were 130 plus million, whatever number you want to believe. But I mean, that number was on the table and it didn't happen. So if you don't think that Brett Veach has a good plan in place for a stud left tackle that hasn't been paid yet, I mean, he clearly has the money earmarked and I do think that they will end up paying him. I do think they will end up extending him, but because we haven't seen it yet, that's kind of the last unknown quantity of the trade that we haven't locked in yet. 
Yeah, I agree. And that this to me was at the time when this all kind of went down and we have the benefit now of, you know, a week to again, sort of ruminate on this. Um, this was the thing that kind of upset me when the trade went down. The sure. reason that you see extensions so oftentimes get worked out as part of these deals is because the trade essentially is contingent on the player signing a new deal. They say, okay, we're going to trade. This is what the compensation is going to be, but we're only going to do it if you let us talk to Orlando and his agent and we get to work out a deal essentially as part of the trade so that when the trade is done, the contract's already been figured out. We announce that as part of the deal. When you do the trade like the Chiefs did and you don't work that out, uh, the last player that I can think of the, who was involved in a major ta- trade also a tackle um, when the Texans traded for what's his name? Help Laramie me Tunsil. Laramie Tunsil. When the Texans traded for Laramie Tunsil and Bill O'Brien did not work out a contract extension with Laramie Tunsil after trading two firsts and a third and some other picks yeah. as well. More capital Laramie than the Chiefs gave up yeah, for sure. By far. But similar situation where they didn't get a deal worked out and they ended up blowing up the market for Larry Tunsil and playing, paying him something like 22 million a year. Mm-hmm. Now that was Bill O'Brien. So <laughs> a little bit of a different situation than Brett Veach and Brant Tillis coming to the table, a couple of sharks at the table, you know, <laughs> Laramie Tunsil, by the way, negotiated that market setting contract by himself, by himself. without an agent. That's such a joke. That <laughs> which just, is Bill O'Brien, such a joke. <laughs> it just is. Uh, he, he almost could have been fired just for that alone, yeah. but and well, it's funny, you know, Bill O'Brien, third overall pick as right, well. So, right. You know. Bill O'Brien was wearing his GM cap and coach cap and, and Laramie Tunsil was wearing his agent cap. And like, those guys needed <laughs> some professionals in the room. Now, Laramie obviously didn't. He, he, ended, yeah, up, yeah. he ended up taking, uh, taking Bill to school, but it just felt like, you know, Bill O'Brien was in over his head and he didn't even go against an agent there. It's just sad. He was so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that obviously was my concern when the trade went yeah. down and, You know, the more I think about it, the less it bothers me. Number one, because of what you said about Trent Williams, like the Chiefs clearly do have an idea of how they could fit this into their cap and what the price is. And I'm sure they've had some preliminary discussions about like what the numbers would look like. Like, I don't think that they had no dialogue at all with Orlando Brown and his agent. And in fact, when Brett Beach kind of was asked about that at the presser, he basically said like both sides talked about this and we're both comfortable doing it this way. Mm -hmm. And one difference, I guess, between, you know, how these trades have kind of gone down in the past, he's still on the last year of his rookie deal. That means the Chiefs theoretically can still franchise tag him, you know, starting next year. And in fact, you know, if they really got bent over a barrel, they could franchise tag him and trade him. Yeah. And I think they probably could get pretty comparable value with him playing under the tag and, and getting traded under the tag, unless he just has a terrible year, in which case, obviously, they're either going to let him walk or they're going to be able to sign him, you yeah. know, like depending on what the reason for it is, you know, if like he has a terrible year, they're going to be able to extend him for way cheaper than what they would have if, if he they had a great to. year. Right. I mean, exactly. I think they would with the draft capital given up. I just don't, I think they wouldn't want the egg on their face for trading for a guy. Yeah. He sucks ass. And then, and then worst case scenario, obviously he sucks for one year. They let him walk. He goes somewhere else, figures it out. And sure. now the chiefs sure. look like complete idiots. So, I mean, yeah. I, I think if he ends up struggling this year, obviously they're deep enough on, on the offensive line, which again, we'll talk about that. I think that they would, they would feel comfortable keeping. 
Yeah, there's obviously a lot of different ways that it could play out. But I mean, even in the worst case scenario where he balls out and he wants like $25 million a year, and then she say, there's absolutely no way that we can pay you that. Yeah. You know, they have the ability to franchise tag him. They have yep. the ability to force him to play under the tag, which again, under the new CBA is more team friendly. That was something that somehow the players went in <laughs> wanting to completely get rid of the franchise tag. And instead they just <laughs> made it easier for teams to tag players and force them to play. Well, that's because um, they let Laramie talk Tunsil negotiate for the players. They right, sure. Yeah, they should have right. had an actual agent in there. <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, yeah, we'll see how it all kind of plays out. But obviously, the Chiefs feel comfortable with the position that they're in. And, you know, I think some of it, too, might just be they want to see what happens with some of the other guys they have on the roster before they structure this deal. Yeah. And the main guy I'm thinking about is Frank Clark, who yep. the Chiefs don't really have any realistic way to cut this year. But if Frank Clark goes out and has another below average season for him anyway, you know, another, I should say at like an average ish <laughs> season as an edge rusher. Yeah. Uh, but if he goes out and has another, you know, certainly underperforms relative to his contract, he could be a cut candidate next year. And obviously if he's cut, that changes dramatically the chiefs cap situation and how they could structure a deal going forward. Uh, Tyron Matthew, another one that if he's extended, uh, the Chiefs could potentially have a different cap situation than what they're looking at right now when they made the trade. So I think it's smart. I, I was bothered by it at first, but I think if the Chiefs are comfortable with it, so am I. You surprised that Badger hasn't been extended yet? I kind of am. I am a little bit. And, you know, it's always possible they get it done during the summer. Obviously, all the extensions they did last year, they did. Yeah you know, July, yeah. uh, Kelsey Mahomes and Chris Jones all, you know, in that month long span over the summer. What so a it great month it was. It was an amazing month. And yeah. I was thinking about this when we made the trade, I, it's been like, if, if the chiefs ever go more than like three weeks without making like a huge <laughs> headline making move, it's, it's weird, right? Like yeah. it's under the Brett beach era, like it, it was getting too quiet last week. We should have known it was coming because yep. the chiefs hadn't really done anything of consequence in three or four weeks. And that's just not like them. Uh, <laughs> they just, um, they're always finding a way to make it into the headlines and they certainly are aggressive in addressing their needs. And we'll talk about that when we get to the chiefs picks, but before we do that, I want to talk about day one, of the NFL draft with the, yeah. which the Chiefs did not participate in because we traded away our first round pick for Orlando Brown jr. But this was a, this was a day Thursday was a day. It was, you know, after weeks and weeks of speculation leading up to the draft, all you people doing your mock drafts, everything going <laughs> crazy. You just can't predict what's going to happen on day one of the NFL draft. And it no. started with a non-draft story. And I'm not talking about Tim Tebow working out, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm talking about Aaron Rodgers. So I want to hear kind of your, your perspective on this Aaron Rodgers story, how it kind of came into your consciousness <laughs> and what your, your frame of mind was. Well, you know, it was already, I was already locked into NFL chatter on, on Twitter and stuff just because it was draft day. And, and then people started just kind of retweeting some rap sheet tweets and some Schefter tweets and stuff talking about, Aaron Rodgers being unhappy in Green Bay, which is not a shock for people that have been following the story. Yeah, he's obviously, never been happy. he's never really been happy, and especially he's an unhappy person. He is. He's a little bit of a diva, and maybe a little bit is kind to him. Um, 
he was not happy with them drafting Jordan Love last year, quarterback, obviously, that they did not consult with him before they took that pick. They've never really drafted high-end um, position player talent around him. He's always just kind of been, like, in spite of Green Bay, I'm going to go out there and play well. And, and last year was another case. They draft a quarterback behind him. He goes and wins MVP. Then they started talking about he is demanding a trade from green Bay. So it's not just that he's pissed. It's not just what you guys got to draft some guys to help me. He was basically telling people I'm not going to come back one way or the other. You can trade me or I'm just going to freaking walk away or I'm going to retire. I'm going to, you know, whatever the case may be, but I am not coming back to green Bay. And that's really when things started heating up because it was the day of the draft. So everyone, I'm sure GMs around the league were like, well, shit, we had plans for these first round picks. We had, you know, all this stuff in place, but now Aaron Rodgers is on the table. So I don't know how many calls Green Bay would have fielded that day, but it was just, it was the type of high drama that only the NFL can provide with a star quarterback, the MVP, the reigning MVP. There has not been an MVP to to be traded away the year after he wins the MVP in NFL history. The only two MVPs that didn't play for their team the next year retired. So he is creating waves. And now you're thinking, you know, Denver and, and all these other teams. That yeah. Where in, could he go? Where could he go? And I mean, that's, you know, the, the, the shifting landscape with Rogers moves, the power in the NFL shifts with him wherever he goes. And he clearly can command a ton in a trade and would immediately make a team better. It's just a, it's a giant, it's almost like you can't write storylines that big, but the NFL still produces them organically. I don't know how it happens, but it was, it was wild. It was a wild day. Well, you got to think that Rogers himself, his people kind of leaked this and he is thinking, yeah, it's the NFL draft. All of these, you know, college kids are getting drafted in the NFL <laughs> and it's their day, but I want it to be my day. Yeah. So I'm just going to let everybody know how unhappy I am. <laughs> it kind of escalated from, you know, I think Schefter maybe put out the first tweet where he said he's, he's kind of unhappy. It's like, whatever, he's always unhappy. Sure. Who cares? And then it, it seemed to go from zero to 60, yeah. like almost immediately. And by the time that I left to work on Thursday, there was a lot of talk about Rogers going to the Broncos and specifically uh, there first was a, there was a semi-legitimate source. I don't think it was Schefter or, uh, or Rappaport that put this out there, but it was somebody that is, it might've been, uh, it might've been Chris Mortensen. It was somebody who is fairly legitimate who basically said like, these are the teams that Aaron Rodgers would consider a trade to. Oh yeah. And one of them was the 49ers who actually came out that day and said, yeah, we had a conversation about it. I think they came out that night and said, we had a conversation about it, but it was short and we were told he wasn't on the table. Um, And then one was the Raiders who Mm -hmm. obviously play in the Mm -hmm. AFC West. And then the third team was the Broncos. And so this was the, the report circulating, you know, late Thursday afternoon that said, these are the teams that Aaron Rodgers would want to be traded to if he were traded. Now, of course, the, the Packers said, we don't want to trade him. And I assume while they didn't say this because it would just sort of throw fuel on the fire, they didn't say if we were going to trade him, <laughs> we're going to trade care. him where he wants to go. We don't care right? where like, he wants to go. Yeah, we don't yeah. care where he wants to go. <laughs> we're going to trade him wherever we're going to get the best return for him. Right? Absolutely. Like, yeah. As they should. So, right. But the the rumors started heating up. And at one point, Mark Schlereth 
as I was listening on the radio on my way home from work on Thursday afternoon reported that Aaron Rodgers to the Broncos was as close to a done deal as it could be without being official. And this took off immediately. Now, this is a lesson in 21st century media consumption. <laughs> yeah. Because you have to have media literacy, Taylor. And media literacy means knowing what sources you can trust mm-hmm. and knowing what sources you should not trust without further verification. Mark Schlereth saying something on a local radio station is not a source that you should trust with major breaking news. And so he he said this on the radio. Then a Broncos beat reporter or um, or blogger, somebody that kind of is also you know related to the Broncos, tweeted out what he had said on the radio, and then people started retweeting it left and right. Like this is this like is it was it. a done it's deal happening. Yeah, it's it's happening. It's a done deal. Mark Schlereth said on the radio that it was close as close to being a done deal as could be, and it just sent people into a frenzy. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit upset. <laughs> Because, yeah. because Aaron Rodgers to the Broncos would have been a problem for the Chiefs. And a it could still problem. it still could be a problem for the Chiefs if it eventually happens. Doesn't seem like it will, but it was a it was not the feeling that I wanted to feel the night of the NFL draft. No, and you know, the Broncos um we we experienced this when they had Peyton Manning that we did. If, if they get a stud quarterback, I mean, you know, this it's their problem. They're they're a problem. And their roster is pretty talented. They've got some some young players, and they've got really the only thing they're missing to be a legitimate threat to the Chiefs would be a quarterback and and a coaching staff. But and, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, one step at a time. If they get the right. quarterback in place, they might be able to fire Fangio and bring somebody in that would be excited about coaching Aaron Rodgers. Who knows? Sure. But, right. But you're exactly right that you know two of the three teams that Rodgers says he wants to go to being AFC West rivals and the third saying we called them and they said they have no interest i mean that got me you know immediately worried about god do we really have to face aaron Rodgers twice a year now we're already we're already going to play him once next year anyway and you know putting him in the division um it would be fun and interesting from a macro NFL perspective, oh, for sure. Great. It'd be amazing like to have a Chiefs fan. Yes. To have Rodgers be Mahomes twice a year. I mean, that's as good as it gets, but uh, yeah, I kind of would rather run the table on the AFC West all for all time. And boy, we'll talk about those two idiots um, here in a little bit, but if they <laughs> don't get Rodgers, it looks like that is going to happen for a long time. Yeah, I mean, they I, I tweeted this out the other day, but the the only reason it was concerning is because the Broncos are really like legitimately the only team with a bad enough quarterback and a good enough roster that yeah. if they got Aaron Rodgers. You're like, well, shit, that actually it's very similar to the Bucks situation with Tom Brady. Yeah, they had a very talented roster and yep. an idiot quarterback who threw. <laughs> 30 interceptions it was constantly putting them in a terrible position then they went out and got tom brady and it they won the super bowl Ugh. unfortunately Jesus yes Christ. so it, you know and and i've talked about this a million times everybody knows my my stance on the single playoff bye week but you know when you play in a division with aaron Rodgers and justin herbert and I mean, the Raiders are the Raiders, but they did beat <laughs> us. They did take a game off of us last year. Yeah. You know, like you play in a division with you add Aaron Rodgers to the division, you go from 
being guaranteed to beat the Broncos twice to maybe splitting with them to maybe having them sweep you. I mean, yeah. like you, yeah. you never know, right? Like Aaron Rodgers is an MVP level talent. He's a the hell Broncos of a quarterback. Have a, they have a talented roster, you know, like that's one to two losses you're adding to your record when you're competing for this, the, the lone playoff by you have to be the best team in the AFC to get a playoff by. And so it, and, it's a dangerous situation. And you're probably adding like a jillion wins to the Broncos record. I mean, you know, regardless of what it does to the Chiefs record, they're going to go from an idiot franchise that can't beat anybody to a potential AFC championship type of team. So, I mean, yeah, it would uh, if it happens, we'll talk about it. We'll process it. We'll probably end up getting through it just fine. But um, until then, it was it was not a fun opening night for the Rogers rumors, but everything else was uh, it was pretty interesting. I thought that. Uh, the quarterbacks that went, we can obviously everyone knows Trey, Trevor Lawrence went one overall. That was known from all time. And really, Zach Wilson going two to the Jets, that's been locked in for weeks. Yeah, that was but, chalk. But what'd you think of Trey Lance to the San Francisco 49ers at three? Uh, it was good. And I was I was interested by it. Obviously, it uh, it would have been funny if they had traded all that draft capital to move up. And yeah. Trade which we, we talked about before, it just, it, it doesn't raise, it wouldn't have raised their ceiling very much. And it would have been a funny thing to happen. And then I kind of came around on last week, the idea of them not doing that, because while it would have been really funny, they play in the NFC and what they do, if they do something stupid, it doesn't really benefit us. Yeah. And in fact, it would have probably hurt us because Trey Lance, who I consider to be a, a greater talent, would have been on the board for somebody like the Broncos to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it happens, the Broncos did have the opportunity to take a quarterback. And this was by far the most enjoyable part of night one of the NFL draft when the Broncos were on the clock at number nine and the, the team right in front of them, the Carolina Panthers, there was some speculation that they could take a quarterback. Yeah. We knew that after the first three, Atlanta probably was not going to take one. They ended up taking Kyle Pitts, the highest drafted tight end of all time. We knew the Bengals and the Dolphins who were picking fifth and sixth were not going to take a quarterback and they ended up taking Jamar Chase. Yeah. So bold, bold choice by the Bengals to not protect their quarterback who got Ooh. knocked out for the year last year. Yeah. Uh, but they did get a very talented wide receiver by all accounts and the, uh, the Dolphins took Jalen Waddle and a wide receiver as well. Carolina Panthers, you know, had Sam Darnold and that's basically it. And we're picking there in the seventh spot with Justin Fields and Mac Jones still on the board. They decided to take JC Horn, a cornerback. And then the Broncos were up and, you know, aside from the Aaron Rodgers rumors, which really dominated the local news here in Colorado, the day of the draft, you know, people have been talking for weeks about how the Broncos, this could finally be the year that the Broncos take the quarterback, right? Like mm-hmm. they've been picking in the top 10 for the last three years in a row, uh, ever since that 2016 season uh, where they went nine and seven. They've had top 10 picks every year since then, and they have not taken a quarterback any of those years. Despite desperately needing one. Despite desperately needing a quarterback every single year since since Peyton Manning left, with the exception of that very first year after he, he was gone. They picked in the top 10. They've desperately needed a quarterback, and they said, no, we're good. So this was really felt like the year there was a lot of momentum for the Broncos taking a quarterback. Justin Fields, who a lot of people had as the second-best quarterback in the draft, was on the board. The Broncos were on the clock. Mm. And then they turned in the draft guard and they took Patrick Sertan, a cornerback. 
And it just was like, this was the high point, maybe of the entire draft. <laughs> Listen, I, I got excited for the Chiefs draft picks, but I got to say when yeah. Broncos fans thought they were getting Aaron Rodgers and then thought they were getting Justin Fields <laughs> and then ended the first night of the draft having Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater as their quarterbacks. Oh, oof. It was so good. I uh, I retweeted this hilarious tweet from our guy KG Chief, and he said, "Broncos fans, we're getting Deshaun Watson, maybe Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers is coming. Welcome to Denver, Justin Fields, Broncos front office presenting 2015 up and comer Teddy Bridgewater. Like they, they're <laughs> just so they're just such a joke. They're just such a complete like. I don't care how good Patrick Sertan is. He's probably pretty good. His dad was pretty good, former chief, and he." played really well in college. I don't care. A cornerback is just not what the Broncos need right now. And the more that they are stubbornly, I don't know if, you know, maybe the Aaron Rodgers stuff breaking that day, maybe that fucked them. Maybe they were going to take Justin Fields there or Mac Jones or someone, you know, a quarterback. And then they thought, Oh shit, Aaron Rodgers says that he could, he wants to come to Denver. All right. No drafting of quarterbacks. He hates that. We got to right, do, you know, right, we got to right. do whatever we can to <laughs> yeah. not draft a court. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking, but um, it sure was, like you said, probably the highlight of the draft for me too. I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. And then it was followed shortly thereafter with the Raiders picking at 17 and the Raiders have had just atrocious draft picks since John Gruden and Mike Mayock came in to take over that front office. They have drafted guys in the first round that have just been considered by pretty much everyone in the draft, you know, industrial complex to be reaches. They took Cleveland Farrell at third overall a couple of years ago, which people thought was insane. They took Damon Arnett in the first round two years ago, who was considered to be like a borderline top 100 talent. And they took him in the first round. They took Jonathan Abram in the first round who ended up being like the worst safety in the NFL last year. So the Raiders are on the clock with pick 17 and they took Alex Leatherwood, a tackle. (laughs) And the other, the other really funny thing about their draft process is that they're, they're so predictable. They, they took another guy out of a, a team that played in the national championship game or in the college football playoff. They keep taking guys in the first round that played on these college powerhouses that played, you know, in the college playoff or in the championship game. And then they, they overdraft them by like 50 picks. And then they come out in a row for Alabama for them. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And Alex Leatherwood, probably a good player. He's got short arms. He might have to switch over to guard, but they, they put out a statement. There was some reporting done after the draft that they had him not only as the top player on their board. And to be clear, most people had him rated in the 60 to 70 range in the yep. top 100. This yep. is the 17th pick. Not only did the Raiders have him as the top player on their board, there's some reporting that has said that the Raiders had him as the top tackle in this <laughs> entire draft over Penny Sewell, who most people consider to be like a hall of fame level talent right. and Rashawn Slater, who was like right behind him, right? Like one, a one B yep. for the best tackles in this class. And the Raiders said, nah, we think that like the 20th best tackle in this class is actually the first best tackle in this class. And we're going to take him with the 17th overall pick. You know, here's what gets me with the Raiders. If they, had this unorthodox like talent evaluation program, but it led to wins. Like that's fine. You know, like I get it. If you evaluate guys a different way, but it ends up working out on the field then everyone's going to wonder, you know, what do the Raiders know that we don't know? Right. Don't they, don't they feel like if they keep losing their ass every year, 
that maybe their talent evaluation needs a sh- like a shitload of work. I, I right. just right. I can't I can't get behind this whole Mayock is a genius because he used to be an NFL draft guru or whatever. When like it hasn't worked ever. They haven't done one thing where people are like, oh shit, good job, Raiders. Like yeah. they just they just keep screwing it up over and over again. And then they double down and they feel like, well, you know, we gotta ask Tom Cable who his favorite player in the draft is and get him in the first round, no matter who it is. And like it's just yeah, I mean, it's it's it is preposterous. And they, you know, Mike Mayock was asked about their draft, and he basically said like, we don't pay attention to mock drafts, which is like basically an admission that they don't know what the rest of the league <laughs> is doing. Yeah, and they're just going to do whatever they they want to do. Yeah. So if that means that they are going to take a player that they think is the best player in the draft, and that no one else is going to take <laughs> for like fifty or sixty, yes, more, yes. they're just going to take him. Exactly. And, to your point, you know, if that worked, great, <laughs> but it has not worked. Like they, we just were roasting them a couple of weeks ago because literally, like, all but one player from their first draft class with Gruden and Mayock are gone. They're cut. They're gone from the team. They didn't even survive their entire rookie deals. And, you know, two years ago, they took a safety, uh, Jonathan Abram, in the first round. They took three safeties in this draft. Ugh. You take a safety in the first round, you would hope that you wouldn't be in a position where you have to take three more safeties right. in in two years after right. you took a first round safety. They took a, a safety with their second round pick in well, this draft. And, you know, the thing about the draft is that even if you think that you have a better idea on the players than the other teams, even if you feel that I have evaluated every player in this draft to the best of my ability and I've got the better read on them than anybody else – you also have to account for where you think the guys are going to be available. Like yeah. it's, it's like playing poker, you know, like sure. Right. You've got the best hand, right. But like, you need to take all the money from everybody else. You need to right. play the players as much right. as you do the hand. And if the Raiders, if they had any clue at all, they would have known that Leatherwood would have been available after this pick. And they could have gotten another guy in the first round, that even if they yeah. didn't like him as much as Leatherwood, they knew no one else liked Leatherwood as much as they did. And they just refuse. They just straight up refuse to use any type of, you know, logical thinking or they're, they're just, they're just bullish. They're idiots. I, I can't believe it. It was crazy. The rest of the first round was a little bit less eventful. The bears did trade up for Justin Fields at yeah. pick number 11. Uh, Dave Gettleman traded back, which yeah. he had never done before uh, the giants GM to give the bears the opportunity to come up and take, uh, to take fields. The Patriots got Mac Jones at pick number 15. So they have their Tom Brady replacement. Um, apparently, you Picked know, a little too high to be a Tom Brady replacement. That's true. That's a very good point. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because they really have built a team that feels like it's built around more of a power run game that you would think, you know, maybe Cam Newton or Justin Fields or Trey Lance, who are kind of more mobile quarterbacks, would fit what they've been building in free agency and in the draft the last couple of years. Uh, But then they took the guy that doesn't seem like an obvious scheme fit for that offense at all, but we'll see what happens there. And then the Steelers and the Jaguars back to back 24 and 25 drafted running backs. So the chiefs uh, got roasted a little bit for drafting a running back at 32 overall last year, got roasted a little bit, you know, by us even, um, from time to time, not amazing positional value there. The Steelers and Jags, both with dramatically more needs than the Chiefs had last year yeah. when they took Clyde Edwards-Alaire. 
took Najee Harris and Travis Etienne with the 24th and 25th picks. Uh, uh, Urban, I don't know if you heard Urban Meyer's press conference, but he actually came out, this was a little bit refreshing, and said like, yeah, there was a guy that we really wanted to draft (laughs) with the 25th pick, and he went off the board, and we were surprised by that. So we just (laughs) took Travis Etienne. Turns out that it was- it, it was not Leatherwood. <laughs> it actually, he said who it was, which was interesting too. It was Kadarius Tony, oh, yeah. the uh, Florida wide Giants. receiver who went to the Giants with the 20th pick, who was also actually, to be honest with you, kind of a reach based on sure. what you know about him. But Urban Meyer was very into the idea of taking Kadarius Tony. Giants swooped him off the board. And so he said, ah, <laughs> uh, turn in the card for the running back. Just, just go get me, go get me the running back that played with my quarterback at Clemson. Yeah. Let's just pair them up. There were a lot of college pairings reunited. Jalen Hurts reunited with Devonta uh, or Smith. Not, yes, Devonta Smith. I was about to say Devonta Freeman. Thank nope. you for correcting me. Yep. Uh, Jalen Waddle getting reunited with Tua. Yep. Uh, Jamar Chase with Joe Burrow. Yep. And then obviously Travis Etienne with uh, with Trevor Lawrence. Just an interesting interesting little draft strategy there by all those teams in the first round. Yeah, someone dropped the nugget that no team had ever spent top ten picks on college teammates before, and then and then Miami and Cincinnati both did it. So huh. before this draft, no one had ever had two top ten picks that had played together in college, and then yep, then Miami decided to pair up Tua and uh, Cincinnati did the same thing with Burrow. And I, I mean, you know, if they're familiar and, and let's face it, I mean, they're top 10 picks because these guys are supremely talented. It's not, yeah, like they're very good players. They're, they're very good players. Yep, I mean, right. they would have gone, whoever was drafting six, they would have taken Waddle. And I mean, so yeah, it's uh, it, it should be fun, fun little storyline for them. Let's talk about the really interesting part of the draft, which started on day two when our chiefs were on the clock. So day one was eventful. It was fun. It was interesting. I, uh, I sort of compared it to being gods on top of Mount Olympus. You know, there's all these mortals running around, engaging in their shenanigans, (laughs) just uh, running around in total chaos, the entire league, just, you know, freaking out. And the chiefs just sitting up here like, huh, that's funny, you know, amuse us, et cetera, so on and so forth. But the chiefs did end up finally making some picks in this draft, starting with pick 58 on day two. And so the first player that the chiefs welcomed, to Kansas City was Nick Bolton, linebacker out of Missouri. And I know that you were were pretty plugged in, at least on day two of the draft. What did you was. think about this pick? Well, he's kind of the Hitchens replacement. And sure, Hitchens is still on the roster, so you don't know how much he improves the Chiefs day one. But he kind of is the run-stuffing, play-calling middle linebacker. At least that was his role at Missouri. And, I mean, the Chiefs liked him a lot to take him with their first pick. And I've kind of got to – like I do with most of these amateur drafts, I've kind of got to err on the side of the, the chiefs professionals on this. Um, sure. I'm, I'm excited for him. He didn't grade athletically well, but he, um, he fits a need that obviously Spagnola was very, um, you know, very gung ho about. And if he makes the chiefs linebackers better, man, I know it's, I know the position is not a valuable position of linebacker, but like, man, our linebackers have been terrible the last couple of years. And it would be fun if Willie Gay levels up a little bit and now Bolton and Gay are kind of running the middle of the linebacker core for a while. I mean, I could see this working out really well. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a very controversial pick. I think on some levels that has to do with the fact that he went to Missouri and obviously people in Kansas city get very riled up and very territorial about Missouri, Kansas, K-State, college players you know Mm -hmm. just different 
different schools that we have strong opinions about, but he was an all SEC linebacker. He was the best linebacker supposedly in the SEC the last couple of years. Uh, he did not test very well. And this is something that we sort of alluded to when we were talking about Orlando Brown Jr., who the Chiefs paid a lot of draft capital and are, are going to pay a lot of money for. His overall relative athletic score was a 4.62, which, uh, which obviously grades out as below average for a linebacker. And specifically the areas that he did not test well in his height at five foot 11 he's below average for a, a middle linebacker his vertical was a 4.27 or excuse me it was 32 inches which tests out um in the 40th percentile not very good below average his 10 split so that would be his uh, his 10 yard split for his 40 yard dash uh 1.71 not very good his overall 40 yard dash was was actually quite good as 4.6 which actually tests up in like the 88th percentile. So he did very well there. Linebackers uh, don't run 40 yards very often though. They don't. And so his short area quickness, but his 20 yard split was actually a 2.62, which is actually in the 95th percentile. Nice. So his 20 yard, 40 yard speed, very good. His 10 yard split, you know, it takes him a little bit. His burst is maybe not quite as good. And then his shuttle and his three cone were both uh, in the 20 something percentile. So those were both not very good. What that all tells me, and this is consistent with what I've, I've seen on tape and what others have sort of seen on tape, people who are better at evaluating tape than I am. But we heard a lot about his instincts. This is a guy who assesses a situation very quickly, processes at high speed, and then just boom, he gets going, straight line speed, straight to the target, you know, taking good angles to the ball. He, he sees you, he reacts, he pops you. Yeah. If, if you get him, if you fool him, he's probably not going to have a very good change of direction. Right. And this is pretty similar. Like you said, to Anthony Hitchens, that's how I would describe Anthony Hitchens as a player, you know, Anthony Hitchens, it took him a couple of years, but really towards the end of last year, we saw him really feel comfortable. I think for the first time in Steve Spagnuolo's scheme and Frankly, his speed looked better than it was because he was reacting well. And with linebackers, you know, you either want a guy who is going to react well, which is hard to do. I mean, the whole point of every offense is to fool a linebacker, right? Like play action, you know, when you're running zone beaters and things like that, all of it's geared towards the linebacker to get the linebacker going backwards when he should be coming forwards or vice versa. Why do you think they point out the mic every time? I mean, it's the most important player to, to trick. That's right. You're always trying to trick the linebacker. That's what every NFL defense is trying to do. So you either want a linebacker that is is going to be hard to trick, or you want a linebacker that's going to just be so unbelievably athletic that when he gets tricked, he can just change directions in space and make up ground, recover, and make a play. And that's not the kind of guy that Nick Bolton is. He's in the mold of the first type, which is he's going to be smart. He's going to study tape. He's got really good, you know, instincts to be able to make a quick move, assess the situation and go. And Willie Gay is more in the mold of the second guy, yeah, uh, which is interesting. He's more of an athletic freak, great sideline to sideline speed. And so now they do have, you know, they do have two guys that are kind of the linebackers of the future, a second round pick last year, a second round pick this year, that kind of do have different skill sets, which is not to say that Willie Gay isn't smart. You know, if, if it were me and I were building a team, give me the guy that's got the athleticism because Mm -hmm. you can, to some extent you can teach. I don't want to say you can teach instincts. You can't, but instincts is kind of, that's a word that we sort of use to, I don't know. it, It almost like discredits people that are really good at studying film and, 
learning to react, right? Like sure. it just instincts implies that it's all like natural talent. Right. I don't think it is. I think a lot of it is 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 study and hard work to be able to make these reactions in real time. But they're they're different skill sets. Both guys had some questions about maybe their coverage ability, uh, although Willie Gay graded very well as a coverage linebacker in college. Nick Bolton, some questions about, yeah, some questions about how he's going to be able to do that at the next level. But you're getting a smart player who does have some speed, just not a lot of change of direction, not a lot of athleticism. Yeah, they uh, they gave him a lot of simple coverage coverages at Missouri, and he didn't really even do well with those. So I do think that you know his ceiling, if he can if he can kind of figure out how the coverage game works in the NFL, I think he will be a be a player on the team for years to come. Um, I'm I'm excited about it. Now, who I'm really excited about, maybe my favorite pick of the draft was pick number sixty three, Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma is a monster. And didn't give up a sack at Oklahoma and had in three years. He was in, three years starter in three years. And, and, you know, the big 12 had a lot of pass rush talent um, come out of there. And I just, I feel like this was something where, you know, I didn't know that I wanted a center going into the draft. I didn't, sure. the, this pick came up and I was like, well, this is surely where they're going to take a wide receiver. This is surely where they're right. going to, you know, fix that hole or, or whatever. But then they announced the center and, you know, I was like, ah, center that sucks. Like, that's not exciting. And then I like looked into this guy and I'm like, okay, a center might not be exciting, but talk about relative athletic score. Give him the, give him the lowdown on Creed. So Creed Humphrey, we talked about, uh, we talked about Nick Bolton's relative athletic score and where he ranked Creed Humphrey <laughs> scored a 10 relative athletic score. That's out of a possible 10. Mm. So he scored the maximum points and you might think you know like is this like a you know like a little middle school pop quiz where everybody's going to get a 10 out of 10 yeah. you know 100 on it no that's not how relative athletic score works it's relative athletic <laughs> score. so scoring a that's 10 good. out of 10 means you are literally the best ever you're the most athletic player at your position of all time i mentioned this goes back to 1987 the year that we were born that's right there have been 496 centers that they've calculated relative athletic score from 1987 to 2021. Creed Humphrey's relative athletic score ranks first out of 496. Oh. He is the most athletic center in ever in, in 34 years of <laughs> NFL combine metrics. And so I'm just going to read through some of these numbers here. So Creed, uh, his arm size, 32 and a half, his hand size, 9.625. His composite size grade ranks out as good. His weight is a little bit. That's the only thing that isn't green when I'm looking at this chart. Mm -hmm. uh, 302 pounds. That ranks in the 63rd percentile for center. But his height, uh, six foot four, that ranks in the 84th percentile. His bench, uh, he had 29 reps. That's in the 81st percentile. That's considered elite. His composite explosion grade, which is based on vertical and broad jump, his vertical is 33 inches. His broad jump, uh, 904, that's considered elite. That's 96th percentile and 95th point seven percentile, respectively, for those. Insane. His 40-yard dash is a 5.11. This man's 302 pounds. That ranks in the 82nd percentile. And his 20-yard split, uh, 2.9 seconds, that's in the 91st percentile. His 10-yard split, so his 10-yard burst, essentially, that was at 1.71 to get to 10 yards. Uh, in 1.71 seconds, that ranks Jeez. in the 96th and a half percentile. You got all of these Take scores in the er, er, elite range. And then his composite agility grade, 
how well he can move laterally. His short shuttle, uh, 4.49 seconds, that's in the 90th percentile. His three cone, 7.5 seconds, that's in the 86th percentile. So when you combine all of these elite testing numbers, I mean, every single one, the lowest testing number he has on here in terms of percentile rank is 81st percentile, yeah. not counting his weight, which is which is down at 63. But every single one of these categories, he blew the testing out of the water. And this is a guy where, you know, you, you look at his tape, he's sort of the opposite of Nick Bolton, where... Nick Bolton looks more athletic than he tested. Yeah. Reed Humphrey doesn't necessarily look as athletic as, as he tested. I mean, he tested as the most athletic center of all time. Now, I mean, center is a position where your athleticism maybe is not always going to be super obvious. Uh, I saw a couple of clips of him. I haven't dived into any tape on him, but saw some clips circulating around Twitter from our draft Knicks where, you know, he's blocking a guy and then he's running downfield and blocking another guy, you know, like, that's a guy the chiefs can use and certainly a guy where, and we know that this is something the chiefs value because they value their wide receivers too. the ability to block downfield, uh, the ability to engage guys at the second level. That's something that the chiefs value really across the offense, but to have a center that can really move and get out, you know, in the run game and engage blockers down the field with his speed and his burst, man, he's going to be fun. And he's going to be, you figure he's going to be Austin Blythe. If Austin Blythe wins the job, he's on a one-year deal. I mean, at the very least, we're talking about a three-year starter here in in Creed Humphrey, who looks like he can really play. Well, and I've seen a lot of people already projecting Creed to be the everyday starter in his his rookie year. I mean, I think this is a really, really nice pick at 63. Um, You know, the Chiefs play at such a high speed on offense with everything that they do that for to be able to have a line that can move like the like the rest of the offense can and really, you know, have the stamina to be able to get up and down the field. I mean, that's just that's something that you can tell Andy Reid. He's always valued athleticism in his linemen because of the pace that he wants to play at. And I mean, Creed looks very, very comfortable and capable of playing at that type of space being able to go, you know, snap the ball and immediately go pull and go pick up blocks up field and everything that would make a screen game much more dangerous. I mean, he is, he is like an ideal screen lineman. And I just feel like that's something that the chiefs offense has missed the last couple of years. And for whatever reason, I mean, Andy used to be the screen King and I felt like last year he barely called them. And whether that was line personnel or whether that was, you know, how, how, for whatever reason, um, I think they're going to get back to that a lot more. They're going to have a lot more threats for um, just for backs to break open screens and stuff. It's just going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Agreed. So that was the chiefs two picks on day two. And just an interesting contrast in the athletic profiles of those two players with Nick Bolton being in fact, the first guy taken in the 2021 NFL draft with a below average quote unquote athletic profile. And then to draft literally the most (laughs) athletic, the most athletic center of all time (laughs) that's ever existed in the history of the NFL combine. Just an interesting contrast there going into day three of the draft. This is where the chiefs really, made some hay. Uh, you know, the chiefs picks on day two, pretty safe, low positional value. You're talking about a linebacker and a center positions that they're not flashy. They're not wide receiver. They're not tackle. They're not these premium positions, but two guys that they feel like should be able to start for the duration of their rookie contracts. And then getting into day three, 
boy, the Chiefs started to take some big swings that hopefully are going to turn into home runs, starting with Joshua Kando, their fourth round pick, an edge player out of FSU. This guy was a monster coming out of high school. He was one of the five, the top five uh, recruits. He was the number one recruited edge defender out of high school in 2017, I believe it was. He has a monster athletic profile. And so following Creed, now he was not the most athletic <laughs> edge player of all time. Right. Of course. You know, pretty high bar. But Joshua Kando had uh, a relative athletic score of a 9.59. So for edge defenders, and again, this is relative to other edge guys, uh, 95.9 percentile athleticism here. He's a little bit skinny. His uh, overall weight, he's listed at 260. That's the only thing this guy has that's considered to be below average. And his bench press, 21 reps. That's in the 48th percentile, his weight in the 46th percentile at 260 pounds, but his height, he's 6'5". That's in the 94th percentile, his vertical and his broad jump elite, his 40 yard dash elite. This is a 260 pound six foot five defensive end that can, can run a 40 in 4.6 seconds. You know, his, uh, his 10 yard split that bursts off the line, 10 yards and 1.58 seconds. That's in the 98th percentile for edge defenders. So, this guy's a freak and not a guy that I was super familiar with coming into this draft, but a guy that in terms of raw tools, if, if he had developed that at all between high school and the draft, you know, if, if Florida state had taught him how to be an edge rusher, a guy that could have been picked, you know, early second round, you know, maybe even late first round with his athletic profile, but fell to the fourth round of the draft and a guy that, you just feel like the chiefs are going to have, they're just going to have a lot of fun getting their hands on this guy. I definitely agree. And I think that um, the D line being having some of the guys in on that defensive line group that there already are means that he's not going into a situation where he's going to be asked to do a whole lot early. He can kind of get his feet under him. Um, He has the, the pedigree, obviously being a highly recruited player out of high school. And then he was a little banged up and, and a lot of, you know, scouts and stuff thought that maybe he dropped just because he wasn't able to really be healthy for his entire Florida State career. But that, right. that that's not really something that bothers me too much. I think especially sure. in a fourth round pick, if you're picking in the fourth round, you got to take some swings. You got to take right. some swings at guys that, you know, if they don't work out, you didn't burn too much capital. And if they do work out, you got a huge steal. And I think Kando, it, that that's him in a nutshell. He's one of those guys that if he works out and they look back on it, they're going to be like, damn, how did the Chiefs get – you know, Kendo in the fourth and it's because, you know, he just dropped a little bit due to medicals, but I, I love the pick. I think that's super fun. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the theme of this class as we go down the list here, but, but to your point, I mean, when you're drafting on day three of the draft, you're, you basically have, you know, either medical concerns, you have character concerns, or you have guys that, you know, the athleticism maybe doesn't match the tape. There's production concerns, right? Yeah. Like, yep. And then you have guys that don't have any of that and just don't pop athletically. And they're just guys, they're just Jags who are going to yeah. fill out your roster. Right. And of course, you know, 10 times out of 10, give me the guy that has some upside. He's got, he's got red flags, whether it's medical, whether it's character concerns, whether, whatever it is, but has some pop yep. and has the ability to, you know, transfer that upside into, you know, premium talent, a guy that's going to be a starter that has, you know, some pro bowl potential over, you know, a Jag, a roster filler on day three of the draft, any, any day of the week. And that's what they're clearly doing with Kando. 
rolling that into their their next pick, one of their two fifth round picks, Noah Gray. They took a tight end out of Duke. And this guy has a monster athletic profile as well. A guy that actually got not that you necessarily um, want to make comparisons to Travis Kelsey because mm. Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the NFL and one of the best tight ends in yeah. NFL history could could be could end his career as the best tight end ever. But Noah Gray is a guy that that fits the Travis Kelsey mold in a lot of ways. He's a little bit undersized. His overall athletic profile in the 70th percentile, technically actually 69.8. Nice. nice. Yeah, very nice. Uh, his only uh, his only issues are his size. He's a little bit small for a tight end. 6'3", 240 pounds, only 15 reps on the bench. Those are all considered below average for a tight end. But obviously, when you're talking about tight end testing, there's a wide range of what tight ends are being asked to do in the NFL. Huge range. And to have a guy that you can use more in that kind of like H-back slot wide receiver role who can also block, which is really how the Chiefs use Travis, Travis Kelsey, you know, more of your move tight end as opposed to a dedicated blocker. The guy, the, the, what you want in your athletic profile for that kind of a tight end isn't necessarily size and strength. It's the ability to get out in space, block, you know, in space, but also run routes and catch the ball and do things after the catch. And in that regard, he's a monster. So a 4.640 yard dash, which obviously for a tight end, you know, somebody listed a 240 and 63 is a very good number. That's in the 92nd percentile for tight ends. His 10 yard split, a 1.61, which is in the 89th percentile. And his three cone, uh, 6.9 seconds, that's in the 93rd percentile for tight ends. He also does not drop the ball ever. I think I saw that he did not have a single drop in his college career. Uh, I believe it, it, it might be, I he's literally like never dropped the ball quite a contrast from the chiefs tight end twos of the past. Yeah. Uh, all of it, them. Be it Nick. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> I, I was going to specifically call out Demetrius Harris and Nick Kaiser, but all of them, all, all of them, none of, none of them have ever been able to catch the ball. And so you've got a guy here that's got some size has got great hands, you know, I think Travis Kelsey, I mean, Travis Kelsey's not a huge dude. He's, he's obviously, he's big. He uses his size really well, both as a receiver and he really, he uses his size well as a blocker, right? Like he's not a guy that's going to beat you with Gronkowski size, right? Like that's why Gronk is a good blocker is because he's huge, right? Travis Kelsey's not, not quite that massive, but he uses his size well. And he, he uses his technique to be able to get the blocking done that he needs to get done. Right. Like that's not his primary function necessarily, but he can do it. And I really like that they're bringing in a guy like Noah Gray while Travis Kelsey is still in the prime of his career and he's on the team. And this goes for Kando as well. I didn't quite sneak this in on our last point, but you kind of alluded to it. Like, not only are these guys not going to be asked to do very much right away, they're being put in a position where they can learn from some really, yes, not only talented players, but just like the culture of this team going back to when, you know, Alex Smith was mentoring Patrick Mahomes, you, you know, Frank Clark, uh, whatever you think of him as a player, like everybody talks about what a presence he is in training camp and, you know, just how he teaches younger players and how he's kind of a coach on the field to use that cliche, you know, Anthony Hitchens, same way, Travis Kelsey, same way, you know, Patrick Mahomes, same way, just the ability for these guys to come in and, and the coaching staff too. I mean, we're talking about a, a great coaching staff, one of the best coaching staffs in the NFL to get their hands on these guys that have some tools and be able to mold these guys, 
into guys that could potentially be really good players. I, I'm just very excited to see it. Yeah, me too. Um, I also feel like Gray, some people are kind of profiling him as an Anthony Sherman replacement. Now, obviously, the Chiefs did sign uh, the fullback out of New Orleans. Did I already forget his name? But Yeah, Michael Michael Burton, I think. Yeah, yeah, sounds right. Um, Nailed it. <laughs> but the, the ability for Gray to kind of come inside and and block in kind of an old Anthony Sherman role and be able to go out and take a wheel route and stuff like that. Like kind of be a, be a hybrid fullback almost. You don't really want to do like a smash mouth, John Gruden fullback type of deal, but you definitely um, don't mind a guy that can, can go out and catch passes or stay in and block. And, and you know, I mean, 12 personnel has never really been the chief's thing, but if they want to run two tight ends out there and the two tight ends are gray and Kelsey, I mean, that's, that's a ton of different options that they can do. You can run power out of that and you can split them out and take them deep down the seams. And I just feel like the more hybrid a player is on offense, you know, the more you can call stuff and change it at the line of scrimmage and go from one of his strengths to another one of his strengths. And the defense can't necessarily match that. And I think that's exactly what Andy's trying to do here. It's what he's trying to do with the, a lot of the offensive lineman signings and it's what he's trying to do with this fit right here. I mean, if he, if Greg gets on the field, you don't really know what he's going to get up to. And that's super exciting. You know, I love that you brought that up and what I love about, so you're talking about, you know, two tight end sets, uh, something that, you know, the chiefs have not utilized a lot lately, but, but we know from the numbers, you know, passing out of two tight end sets is, is very efficient because mm-hmm. teams assume if you've got two tight ends on the field, that, you're going to try and run. You've got some, some extra beef out there. Yeah. I just love that. Now you've got two tight ends on the field, let's say in gray and Kelsey who are not necessarily the world's best blockers, but they both can run routes and boy, this offensive line, they don't need a lot of help from the tight blocking. I mean, you're talking about the chiefs offensive line is massive and it's really strong. And the big consistent theme of all the guys that they've acquired is that they're all great run blockers, right? Like, so put gray and Kelsey out there on the field with, you know, Orlando Brown, Tooney, Creed Humphrey, uh, Trey Smith, who we're going to talk about here in a second. And then Lucas Niang or fingers crossed, you know, if Mitch Schwartz wants to come back, my, I mean, my goodness with, with quite with Clyde in the backfield, like, yeah. And, and, you know, Tyreek, and I don't know, Demarcus Robinson, whoever you want to line up as your other wide receiver, but those two tight ends, Tyree kill and Clyde Edwards, Alaire with that offensive line. How do you predict? I mean, like that, that could do whatever they want. That personnel grouping is unbelievably unpredictable. I mean, like they just, they could run that ball with Tyreek. They absolutely could whatever they could maul you in the run game. Yeah. They could beat you over the top. I mean, it just is a, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. It's going to be really fun. Another guy that I'm excited to see is the chiefs. Other second round pick Cornell Powell wide receiver. Yeah. uh, Their other fifth round pick, excuse me, Cornell Powell wide receiver out of Clemson. And this guy, he slipped a little bit, I think, because of his age. It certainly is not because of his athletic profile, his size, his speed. He's going to be 24. He's going to turn 24 years old in the middle of this season. So he's older. He's a fifth-year senior. And a guy that didn't really have a lot of production kind of was buried on the depth chart at Clemson until very recently. Uh, but he stuck with it. He didn't seek a transfer. He stuck it out at Clemson. And he did produce this last year. He had had pretty good production uh, at Clemson and his overall testing is pretty good. His uh, he's six foot, 204 pounds, 
pretty strong, 16 reps on the bench, 7.58 overall relative athletic score. So we're talking about 75th percentile for a wide receiver, which obviously is a, a, uh, an athletic position. His explosion grade, his explosion is elite. His vertical and his broad jump, very good. His 40 times a four five, which at, you know, six foot, 200 pounds, pretty good. That's a 64th percentile there. And his composite agility grade, also good. Short shuttle, three cone. Good metrics there. Productive player, guy that wins at the catch point, you know, has got some, some wiggle in open space. A guy that Frankly, although, you know, he doesn't have the same athletic profile, really, and certainly does not have the same draft pedigree, but he kind of seems like a guy that's going to step in and hopefully replace Sammy Watkins, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's he's got that type of profile. Now, whether they want to use him a lot more on on special teams, he does kind of seem like a special teams ace sure, as far right. as his, his skill set. Um, he didn't really do much because he was stuck behind all those great wide receivers at Clemson until his senior year, 880 of his 1200 receiving yards in his college career came in his senior year, seven of his 10 touchdowns. So, I mean, he, he definitely has had one extremely good year um, so far in college. And that's, again, that's the type of guy that in the fifth round, you look at a guy like that and you're like, okay, I could see it working. And if it doesn't, no big deal. And, and he, you know, if you add a wide receiver to this group, you just don't know what the ceiling is like because of the chemistry with Mahomes and because of all the other talent. He could be a guy that if he's the number one target out there on offense might not be super great, but it, man, if he's just kind of checking into the game every now and then, you know, he might be able to sneak behind the line and, and really do some damage. So I think that, I think this is another exciting pick given the spot in the draft. I know, you know, if, if the chiefs had drafted Powell in the second round, I'd still probably be pretty excited about him, but he would have to have a lot. He would be more like a McCole Hardman as far as the pressure on him, that he would have to come in and he would have to be worthy of a second round pick. No, I mean, the guy's a fifth rounder. He can just, he can come in and, and kind of do his own thing. And um, I think that Clemson is obviously as close to NFL level talent all around you as you can get. Right. I mean, that's, you know, he's been around professionals. Dabo Sweeney's a great coach. And I just think that um, that he's got a real chance to be the starting X receiver at some point before, you know, at some point in his rookie deal. I think he's a great fit. Yeah. And he is, you know, he's a little bit older. He obviously is. Um, he's got one year of good college production. So, you know, right. but he's but he's a fifth round pick, like you said. I mean, you can't expect a fifth round wide receiver to come in and dominate and turn into, you know, a pro bowl type talent. It does happen though. And even if it doesn't, I mean, that's not what he's going to be asked to do with the chiefs, right? Like right. just being on the field with these other weapons that we've talked about, especially now with this newfound, you know, top five offensive line that we've cultivated in one off season, really in, in two months, essentially of work, just an unbelievable job by the chiefs and Brett Veach to, to bring all these guys in, you know, he certainly has the ability to slot in and, you know, at the very least, this is a guy that had to compete through a shitload of talent at Clemson to even see the field. And for him to have played there, you know, to have been there essentially five years to stick that out and fight through that. I like him coming into this wide receiver room specifically because you know who really could use a kick in the ass to, you know, improve as a player is McCole Hardman. Hardman. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, who, who really needs uh, somebody to come in that's going to try and cut his throat and take his job. 
Uh, it's McCall Hardman. Uh, McCall Hardman needs to have somebody on his ass trying to take his job. And, you know, Byron Pringle wasn't necessarily going to do that. Demarcus Robinson certainly was not going to do that. Cornell Powell, uh, he could, I don't know, you know, like I, they're obviously they're different types of players, but I just like that you've got a dog in there who had to compete his ass off to get snaps at Clemson because he was not, you know, an uber talented guy by, by Clemson standards, you know, he's behind, you know, some of the top picks in the draft playing at Clemson. I like that that guy's going to be in the wide receiver room. And I hope that it motivates those other guys to play to a higher level. I I hope that that happens. Speaking of competition and speaking of swings, boy, the (laughs) last pick in the draft for the chiefs, Trey Smith guard out of Tennessee mentioned him earlier as a potential uh, starter at right guard. Maybe not this year because the Chiefs do have LDT. They have Kyle Long obviously playing there. This guy was a top five recruit as well coming out of high school. In fact, I believe he was the number one overall recruit coming out of high school in, I think, 2017. A guy that slipped in part because of his medicals. He had some blood clot issues while he was at Tennessee in his lungs. But a few years ago, it it doesn't seem like something that he's necessarily had a lot of issues with. He said he's clean since 2018. He says no issues since 2018. Uh, He's massive. And you want to talk about an athlete on the offensive line. This is another guy. I mean, really every guy since Nick Bolton was selected by the chiefs has had just an outrageous athletic score. Trey Smith, 9.91 overall relative athletic score, which puts Mm. him in the 99th percentile for guards. Insane. Insane. His 40 yard dash. uh, I think actually he ties with Creed here, a 5.11 40 yard dash. That's in the 88th percentile and his 10 yard split at a 1.75 91st percentile for a guard 32 bench reps. That's in the 91st percentile. He's six, five, 321 pounds. He has a 31 inch vertical, which is in the 98th percentile His broad jump 904. That's 95th percentile. The dude is a beast. He's a monster. Yeah. Yeah, he profiles a lot like Lecce Assembly, just a big road grader at guard and a guy that, um, you know, started 40 games at Tennessee. So they they loved him there for his whole career and just feels like the type of guy that is is going to come in and make an immediate impact. And I know he's a sixth round pick. That doesn't happen very often. But um, this offensive line group, I mean. Trey Smith is a great pick and there were a lot of tweets going out that of course the chiefs got Trey Smith and the rich got richer and blah, 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 because this was a, this was someone that people kept keeping their eye on as the draft ticked along and no one had picked him up yet. And I just, I just am so impressed how they turned weakness into strength. And, you know, part of the weakness was the injuries. I don't know if you would have called the offensive line a weakness if, if fish and Schwartz had stayed healthy the whole year, but it was going into the off season the number one concern and they they rounded it out the same way they started the offseason by beefing up the offensive line group again and i really think trey smith's going to be a longtime starter in kansas city i just think he has that potential he looks like he profiles perfectly for a guard position and and this was as good of a day three as we could have possibly asked for yeah and again as uh as i mentioned with clemson powell or not clemson uh, sure cornell powell clemson powell yeah clemson powell out well. of clemson yeah out of cornell out of cornell uh, <laughs> yeah. clemson powell out of cornell i'm sure i will never make that mistake again um, <laughs> sure i will make it many times but uh you're talking about another guy that is coming into and this is not necessarily the case with wide receiver i wouldn't consider the chiefs wide receiver room to be super deep but 
the offensive line room is very deep, but this is a guy that's coming in that, you know, is going to compete his ass off. He tweeted after day two of the draft. So after the third round ended, he tweeted, we'll never forget. Yep. That's it. That's all he tweeted. He's pissed. He's pissed that he fell to the sixth round. He was pissed that he didn't get drafted in the second or the third round. He made it all the way to the end of the sixth round before he got selected. And man, I just, I, it's hard to, imagine you know a guy like a guys that come out of that part of the draft that has hip that have his pedigree and his athletic profile just doesn't happen very often and to get a guy like that with a chip on his shoulder mm. Mm, i don't know it's uh it's definitely <laughs> i i would not want to be the guy on the receiving end of a block from him Man, is all i gotta say about those that. one-on-ones in camp between the offensive line and defensive lines are going to be, be crazy. so fun. And they, I don't know, you know, they're going to cut about five offensive linemen that are going to be able to play with another team next year. I mean, yeah. I don't know between Allegretti and Wiley and, and Yusir Durant and uh, of course, Prince Tiga Winogo. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, who I, who I really like as a project lineman, but the chiefs just don't have room for project linemen anymore. I mean, they, they have, they have 15 guys in the room and they're going to have to cut that to nine or so to at least yeah, probably nine or 10. Yeah. Yeah. Right. To keep what their normal kind of rotation is. And I just think that um, of all the positions that the chiefs, you know, were maybe worried about going into the off season, it feels like they overcompensated. I mean, it feels like they went from, you know, to, to having one of the best offensive line groups in all of football. And it's, it's a blast. It's crazy because, and this is kind of how we'll close out this conversation um, until next week, but it's crazy that they were able to take that position group because offensive line is a, it's, it's, it's premium, especially yeah. tackles and they yeah. lost their tackles. I mean, that yeah. was the, the area that they needed to improve the most, but for them to be able to turn that weakness into a strength in two months, given the amount of resources it takes to do that, both in the draft and in free agency, all of that, it's incredible that the Chiefs were able to pull that off. And for them to be in a position now where they're going to have to practice squad some of these guys or cut some of these guys or, or potentially be in a position trade to trade them. some of these guys yep. and pick up some compensation for them is an unbelievable transformation. It, it's crazy to think about. And it's crazy because the chiefs, I mean, really since the early two thousands, when they had that monster offensive line, there hasn't really been a season where the chiefs have gone into it with an offensive line quite like this. And they've never obviously combined this offensive line with this quarterback. And I get that the receiving weapons are a little bit thin, but with the top two, Travis Kelsey and Tyree Hill, with this offensive line, you know, you think about the things that the chiefs struggled on, offense last year and one of them was short yardage situations and mm-hmm. correspondingly similarly in the red zone yep. two areas where the chiefs struggled the chiefs i think could just line up eight <laughs> offensive linemen and you know a fullback yeah and Clyde and patrick mahomes and i don't i don't know how many teams in the nfl could line up and just beat the chiefs if they needed to gain a yard I, I don't think it's very many teams that have the personnel to match up with this offensive line. If they just want to line up and out physical you at the line of scrimmage and the chiefs have not had that in years. They haven't. And not only that, but you know, so now the chiefs are going to be able to physical you and finesse you. Now yeah. they're going to be able to go one yard yeah. or a hundred on any play. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, good luck. It's going to be fun. 
we'll be back this week, guys. Uh, we uh, enjoy breaking down the Chiefs draft class with you, and it's always sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. Mm-hmm.